You're listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, normally recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. But this week, I hit the road to meet my brother in Tampa St. Pete, where we visited our mom who hasn't ventured out of her place because of COVID for over a year. Fully vaccinated, we reconnected live and in person for a few days of stories and a shit ton of fish. This week, I talked to my buddy Josh again as he tells stories of quaaludes, ecstasy, and a dead Nazi. I mean, you can't make this shit up. You can go through an entire lifetime and count your good friends on one hand and sometimes a few fingers. Sure, we all have acquaintances that we share something in common with. I call that a reason. Then we have friends and relatives that we share for periods of time, like school, work, and location. I call that a season. And then there are those connections we make with certain people that last for decades. There are things we share that are timeless. You can pick up the phone after lapses of time and either pick up where you left off or talk about what's important for you today. And this special type of timeless doesn't dissipate with distance, unshared activities, or unshared life events. I call this a lifetime friend. Josh Salzman, personal trainer and armchair therapist to his high-profile clients, is that to me. As we navigate independent paths to a more woke and fulfilled life, we find ourselves laughing our asses off at the fact that With all of our wayward energy and risk-taking, we're still here to share our stories and hopefully help, energize, and entertain those willing to listen. I left this episode unabridged and in full view and airshot of the world. So if you're driving, set your car on cruise control and for God's sake, keep your hands off your phone. If you're relaxing, pour your favorite drink smoke your favorite strain and just lay back if you want close your eyes and try to imagine josh's life he's a mold breaker and i hope you enjoy so tell tell me something how's super aging going it's going really well. I mean, we get more hits. We're doing more involvement with Instagram people. And in other words, we're bringing more fo- um, influencers to our site. Yeah. That's so we, you have to do that. And we've got this campaign really quickly to tell you that it's with this local uh, borough, which is local council, which is Hammersmith and Fulham, you know, which is, you know, about it's like saying doing something for Berkshire County or Manhattan where you're trying to make the borough healthier and we're donating our time and we're engaging um, the uh, the local council. So there's a lot of things going on where it's trying to get eyes to the page and also trying to make sure that we get on a sofa in the next month. In other words, we get on a breakfast television. The Duchess is going to be doing something from the States in the next month, which means she should be doing something with Good Morning America so we can get in through that route and be interviewed, hopefully. Oh, nice. And just tell people about, you know, we're not the only answer, but Basically, what we're saying is, you know, guys our age, Rich, are relevant and we're we're cool and we're we got something to say and something people can learn from. And at the end of the day, it's very important that uh, that uh, you would make a noise. I don't think you have to go quietly into the night. No, never, never go quietly into the night. Never, never. Yeah. So one of my challenges is uh, and this was all part of my strategy was work on content, work on content, work on content, and then put it out into the universe and see what people say. And it's been great. I mean, I'm getting tremendous. Certainly you have been a huge help, but I'm getting a lot of feedback and a lot of people around the world that are tuning into this, but I'm not hitting these gigantic numbers yet. And, but my expectations weren't to do that. But I think my, where I fall short is the like you say, like catching the influencer. So, but the bottom line is, you know, influencers in today's, 
you know, and what we're trying to do to market ourselves. Connecting with people that are connected to a lot of people helps. So oh, yeah. well, that's the next, that's my next stage is to it, figure that out. Well, you're doing it, Rich, that they need to hear Rich. They need to hear Wayne and Josh and the people that are our age. There's 1 billion people turning 60 this year, Rich, 1 billion people. People are living longer. The trouble is they feel like, you know, their, their life is going down the tubes where you and I and Wayne is just like on another fucking level, but say you and I and Wayne, cause we're closer to the same age. But what I'm making the point is that we're doing shit that an eight, that 28 year old guys would be doing or 25 year old guys would be doing, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, that's true. I have been doing some things that 25 and 28 year olds are doing just a lot slower and on purpose. Which yeah. But we know where the bodies are buried. That's the difference. Absolutely. We yeah. know where the bodies are buried, but you're, in, you're inspiring people our age and younger because you're saying, fuck this guy's out there, man. I got to be out there too. I got to, I got to go for my dreams. I got to, I got to take care of myself. So I can go for my dreams. You know what? You know what? We all talk about all these conversations about drugs or something. Our bottom line is always trying to be healthy. And part of that experimentation is to be healthy because I got to say this, that that's taught me how to fucking keep my shit together. Some of those experiences. And that helps you in life. Keeping yeah, your shit the together. fact that you're still living and you had those experiences like driving on quaaludes you know, going to do your training on Molly and some of the other incredible experience. You like somehow you're like a cat with nine lives or whatever the number is. And you haven't gotten to the last one yet. So you get to tell the story while you're going to the next life. When you deal with someone that's a little older and as we get older is the worst thing you can do when you're a young kid is to look at someone that's really old and, 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 and they know what it's like to be you, but you don't know what it's like to be them. You know what I mean? So giving everybody there the chance to, 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 to be somebody, because I think the frustration that we hear with, you know, parents or, you know, in both case, our mothers is they're not recognized. You know what I mean? Oh like yeah. Right. Well, I think it's one of the biggest things about getting older is you feel the sense of reduced value to the world, you know, what's mm -hmm. your contribution, you know, used to be part of something and, or doing something or running something. And then, so now you're contributing to society, but as you get older, I think people push you aside and it's up yeah. to an individual to decide how they want to feel. Like you don't want to be yeah. pushed aside. I don't want to be pushed aside. So it's the super aging thing. It's like the, how are we going to live our lives and not feel that way? But I think it just happens. And, and younger well, people, I, it's almost I, like younger people don't want to hang out with older people because they're, they're, they're afraid they'll catch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sure. they will, but it's in a very long period of time, they'll catch it. Sure. But I, I would say this with you and I, Rich, and I really mean this, is that the way I look at it, when you say about this guy, Joffe, just say it as it is. That's it. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we'll do then. You can tell the story because and the, my attitude now is and with Wayne's attitude is that, you know, I, I, I want to be fucking heard. I don't want to be going out thinking that I haven't made my point. And if it means irritating someone to make my point, fuck it. I, I, I know who I am. I do the very best I can. I've had a good week of helping people. People that don't like it, they can go fuck themselves. And I mean it. All right. And so um, I got a little bit. I'm with you. To it. You know, my, my life has always been a movie in a sense. Um, and I always think that I've worked with a lot of actors and actresses. But I know this, that, you know, I've got nonstop, you know, every time I, I you know, I have all these experiences that I've actually had little, you know, kind of. Well, like the uh, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, uh, moments <laughs> in my life. Okay. That was the best. That was a, the member that one scene where they took, I think it was some kind of drug. It was like, and they over, they took way too much. And just the whole scene of the guy trying to call him on the phone and he can't even get to the phone. And then him oh, oh yeah, the getting loose, home and he doesn't loose. realize he's crashed his car. Like he has a vision of what he thinks happened. And then he walks out and his car is just totaled. So I think it's really perfect that we're transparent but i'll tell you before we get to the fruit and vegetable guy i'll tell you a quick anecdote about lewds uh when i came back I, we, we, quaaludes I, you know, listen you could you go ahead no quaaludes lewds or lubes Qua quaaludes, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so, roar 14s deal. i remember them well yeah yeah. So, <laughs> yeah here's the here's the deal yeah seven fourteens we used to call them yeah right so i was never a lewd fan although when i was in israel the first time on the kibbutz when i was wrestling for the israeli team you know athletes and and people like us rich we, we we like to experiment we like to push the boundaries you know why does a guy run a marathon 
why is a guy hit a hit, take a hit ass and go to the library, you know, during university? I mean, that's the, it's just, it's the same challenge, only a different way. Right. So, yeah. so I, I would always have, obviously, as you know, but all these disciplines and stuff and working out. And I remember coming back from Israel. Well, actually, when I was in Israel, there was this guy that was a volunteer there on the kibbutz where I was at. And we used to call him Quaalud Robbie. Because every Friday night we'd have, you know, like just have a couple beers and people would get some hashish and smoke it, you know, in a split. And but Robbie would always take a couple of his quailies he brought from Philadelphia. He was there for like three months. And he had a whole mess of quailies. And that was never my thing. You know, you used to always see him like swaying in the in the background there at the in the volunteer, you know, pub we used to have, you know. It just uh, for me it just hospital. slowed things down way too much. Yeah, I enjoy that. But I so, didn't need that, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew that I didn't enjoy it, but, but to be honest with you, when I came back from Israel and I was going to go back to university, I thought I would try to ask out all these women that I really fancied because I had a steady relationship when I was in high school. And I thought, let's let's make up for lost time. <laughs> so I asked this one lady out who was a former cheerleader and I hadn't seen her for like whatever it was, four years now, because uh, I'd been away in college and da da da. And I I said, hey, Rosie, you want to come out? I want to ask you a question straight out, flat out. I want you to give me the honest answer. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say. I and mean, we really don't hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! She goes, sure, I'd love to go out with you, you know? So she wasn't lived that far away. So my sister at the time, who doesn't, you know, experiment at all anymore but she did at the time she said would you you think rosie would like to do a quaalude and i said i don't know i haven't seen rosie since high school so she said well here's these two 714s that i have and and you can have them i said okay so being a bit of the crazy guy I get to her house and you know those were the days where you know they didn't you, you, you had a drink and i was wrestling quite seriously then so i didn't want to have beer so she said would you like a drink before we go out i said sure she said, what would you like i said i'll have some uh, you know some scotch just gave me some kind of cheap, you know, Johnny Walker Red or whatever it now, was. Now, have you taken the Quaaludes yet? No, no. Okay, good. So you, now you're drinking the scotch. Okay, I'm just kind of getting an image of what's going on. Yeah, so here's, I'm drinking the scotch. Yeah. And she gets herself like this glass of white wine, you know? And I said, would you like some, would you like to do a Quaalude? And she looks at me, she goes, I don't do drugs. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. And I went home. This is going to be one of those evenings, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> she could have at so, least said, well, I don't feel like it tonight, but you go, you know, something like that. But she, yeah, she, well, she drew a line in the sand. She, she, you could right away, you got this like, uh, you know, it was all that conservative stuff coming out. She was a really hot chick, but she was a good Catholic girl and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, okay. but having said, I had these two quailers in my pocket. So I said, well, I might do one. So she goes into back into the kitchen or whatever, grabs something. And I think, oh, fuck, I'll just do them both. <laughs> I don't know what made me best that. Well, you probably but, did them both because you realize this night might be a bust. I mean, what yeah, else yeah. is she conservative about? Are we going to connect? Let me just take these two and let's have a nice ride. Yeah, but it was definitely that Tom and Jerry moment where part of me said, are you nuts? So, but I did. And then we went out and I'm driving, right? And oh. we go to this place in, in Western Mass. That's like a, you know, when the, there's a lot more of these places in Western Mass, uh, back then when, you know, they wouldn't have that type of music. It was kind of like a country rock, you know, it's like, you know, Almond Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, sure. So the guys were rocking away and, and I, I was feeling okay. I was completely normal at this point, but all of a sudden we're sitting there and the music starts and obviously we're all getting into it. I'm tapping away and all of a sudden I feel, Oh shit, I'm feeling a little bit different here. And, uh, and I said, would you like to dance? So she goes, sure. But it sounded like, sure. Oh, and I went, oh, everything's slowing oh, down, oh, right? Oh, oh, slowing down? I was dancing, like imitating, I don't know, one of those 
people in Paris that mime, you know, with those white outfits on. You know? <laughs> You're right. And and, and 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 she's looking at me, and I can I know this is going horribly wrong right now. And then I say to her, "Excuse me, I've got to go to the toilet." Anyways, so she looks at me and she can see something's clearly not right. And I, you know, when you're, you know, you know that this isn't going to go very well. And I said, listen, we, we should go. And I didn't say we should go. I said, we should go now. At least that's what you're thinking. You're saying, I don't sure what I was saying. And, and I get in the car and I'm driving and it was only like three miles back to her house. And But you're the funny thing. You're driving. I mean, that's the biggest risk of the whole night is you're getting in a vehicle and you know that nothing's right. No, nothing's right. And she looks at me and she says, you know, you're driving five miles an hour. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, well, you never can go too slow when you've been drinking. And, and, and the last thing I remember was going, bringing her to the house and trying to make out with her. And then the next thing you know, I'm just looking at the doorbell. I'm so wasted. <laughs> and I'm thinking, fuck, I got to get home. So I did, which was just down the street. I think I was hungover for like two days, but that was the last time I ever did Quaaludes, that's for sure. So. I think when they wrote The Wolf of Wall Street, somebody had heard that story. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that is like, I've had some crazy, crazy stuff, but I mean, could you imagine yourself now getting in a car when you're impaired? Oh, I think I would never even dream of no. it. But you know, the the, that's that's where the world's back. changed, I think, for, oh, yeah. for, you know, for, I'm not, not for everybody. Obviously, there's drunk drivers all the time. But I think a lot of people who like to enjoy themselves now, I mean, I think Uber, Lyft, whatever the next, you now have this service where somebody could pick you up. Um, mm-hmm. And so now everybody has a designated driver as long as there are Uber, Uber people in the area. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. So well, we, yeah. we didn't have Uber in Pittsfield. We had, we had just get your ass home. And if you get stopped, the local cop will know that you're a, you're a high school hero football player and they'll let you, he'll follow you home oh, yeah. and that's it, you know, but yeah. uh, that's I'll, the way it works. Well, let me tell, I'll tell you a funny, a better world there. hold on. Let me tell you a funny driving story. Um, when I was back in high school, I, um, I dated this girl. And back then, I don't know if you remember eight track tapes, like they became a thing after cassettes, like for a very short period of time, but they were starting to put them in cars. And this girl I was dating bought this eight track player that goes in a car and asked me if I would put it in her car. And Josh, I know nothing about electronics, but my ego said, sure, I can. You know, I wanted to impress her that she can't, she doesn't want to do it. I can do this. So like an hour and a half, two hours later, I think I jammed this thing in there. I'm connecting wires. I don't know what goes with what, but it works. It works. And it's like, this is incredible. So that night we're going out I go to her house and as it's getting dark, we, you, know, you remember there were cars where you actually had to turn the lights on in the cars. They didn't automatically go on. Right. I pull this thing to turn the lights on. The H track goes off. Brilliant. Whatever the hell I, so the question is, can we drive in the dark and listen to music? So there were times when we're turning the lights out just to listen to music and we're going 30, 40 miles an hour on these dark roads. That's Brilliant. taking risk. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. And listen, we survive, but I think there's a, there's you and I connect on many bases, buddy, because there's a craziness in both of us that we'll go right up to the edge with certain crazy friends, but we'll look over the edge and they'll jump and we'll look over and go, Oh, that's a long drop. And so I've always had this thing where I've stopped myself, um, to a certain point, but I think, you know, I I've always enjoyed, you know, being as fit as I can, but you, we've all had our experimental days, you know, because you were inquisitive. We had wayward energy. I would call it rich wayward energy. Yeah, we, we we just had so much energy and we like to have experiences. And if you were in your room, uh, by yourself at the fraternity, you know, and all of a sudden you'd come in or I, we'd go out up to Saratoga, we'd have an experience, wouldn't we? I mean, we would make an experience out of it. We would make a fun time, not to hurt anyone. We never got any fights. We never caused hassles. We broke up a lot of fights, but the point I'm making so is- So when does this shit stop in our lives? Like, <laughs> cause I mean, not, but let me see, eight, 10 years ago, I bought a Harley and I rode her for three years. And the reason I stopped riding it is I dropped it twice, and that's a big deal. And I had one near-fatal accident, that, but that didn't stop me. I think it was one day I got on the bike, and I'm driving up to Wisconsin. I was like 15 miles south of Wisconsin. Great place to ride motorcycles. 
And I decide I take off my windshield because mm. I wanted to feel the wind. And I took my helmet and I put it back in one of the back. Now I'm riding, no helmet, and I'm going 80 miles an hour just to see what mm. it feels like. And then I think I stopped at this bar and it just hit me like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm, this is going to be my end. And so I get back on the bike, put my helmet mm. on, ride back, you know, maybe past the speed limit, whatever it is. I get back and like three days later, I put my bike up for sale. Because I thought this is going to be the end. I actually had that epiphany in that moment. Yeah, well, interesting Interesting when you say things like that. Because everybody has their, what do they say, their challenge zones. You know, in a neuralistic program, they say your comfort zone, your challenge zone, and your panic zone. And, but we take risks in different ways, right? Yeah, I think everybody's got their, you know, you know their their comfort zone. And, and, and heights and speed isn't mine, especially when I'm not driving, because I'm, I'm a control freak when I'm behind the wheel. When somebody's, when I'm in the front seat, even with my girlfriend, I go, did you see that? You're a little close to the curb. You know yeah, we I like think. to control stuff. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> yeah. but talking about out of control, um, I was going to talk about a, uh, you know, a couple interesting clients that I've had over the years. And I think when you're a personal trainer and you're you're making a living like I have over the years. People really don't know what it's like when you're not operating in a gym. You know, you people coming to you and they're just seeing you in a gym. And I've operated in gyms, but never exclusively in a gym. That's always been, you know, just a few hours of my week. I've been part of a gym or something. And I've had to go out and meet different people. And it's all about communication. And it's all about referrals because, you know, the personal trainer that adver advertises for personal training, that's not how you get your best clients. You get your best clients through. Oh, word of mouth. Um, word of mouth. Yeah, and absolutely. So, so this one guy, you know, this is quite an, an unusual situation for most people uh, to be training, but this, there was a guy that, uh, there was, there was a doctor that I used to use for vitamin B injections. And um, he was actually the doctor of Prince Harry and Prince William. And when I say vitamin B injections in the night, in the late eighties, in the early nineties, I used to call him up and say, Hey, Peter, um, just around the corner, you know, in Knightsbridge, he, he had a surgery, very British. And I say, well, you give me a shot of vitamin B. So I'd go in there and he'd stick like literally a triple, you know, thing of vitamin B in my left tricep. Yeah. Now, let me stop you right there. Explain to me why, what does vitamin B do for you? And what does an injection do that a pill doesn't do? Okay. So vitamin B, I don't do it anymore, but vitamin B is they give it to a lot of people because it helps the oxygenation of the blood. So it sends more oxygen through your bloodstream. So basically, um, when people get a vitamin B boost, they usually just get a single thing. They get it in their ass and, and it makes them feel better. I mean, John Riggins, the football player for Washington. Yeah. yeah number four. He, he used to get, yeah, he used to get a vitamin couple, like a triple hit of vitamin B just before he played and it was completely legal. Um, but the trouble with vitamin B is it, if you, you can overtake it and, you know, giving, you know, the obsessive compulsive habits that I have and I, I have to control, obviously, because when you get into fitness or you do something the way I do it, you can be fixated and get, you know, you have slightly an addictive personality for feeling good. So you take a little bit of vitamin B injection and it, it works differently when you get it injected because it goes straight into your bloodstream. When you digest it, you, you know, it takes a while to get in your bloodstream and you don't get the purest form of vitamin B. So I used to stop there and get my vitamin B injection. He used to charge me like $70 and, you know, and then I'd go on my way, you know, he'd literally take and get a needle ready and I would just pop it in. But this guy was really happy because I referred him to uh, other clients of mine. And, you know, these guys charge a lot of money, these private doctors. I mean, we have national health here, but the doctors over here, you know, they, they need to keep their, pay their rent and keep their golf memberships up and everything right. else. And, and everything else. So, so, you know, he was happy that I referred to him a, a lot of good clients, even though he had his own good clients, but we enjoyed each other's company and he kind of enjoyed my manner. And he, he thought it was quite funny because he said, gosh, you know, at the time your arms about as big as somebody else's, you know, uh, leg, you know, I do everything that I can to be a winner and to get the body that I envision. If you do something, then do it, go all out. You can do it. So. And, and, and so he, so he, he referred me to the guy and an unusual guy. Cause he referred me to a couple of people, um, uh, a couple of young kids, actually a couple of young children that I work with that had learning disorders. But he also said, called me up in about 1990 on the phone. He said, Hey Josh, I have this really interesting client 
that you that you that you should work with because I visited them at this very fancy restaurant uh, restaurant uh, hotel. You know the hotel Claridge's, uh, Rich in in Mayfair. Today's luxury is almost undefinable. First, of course, you're met and greeted by some incredible flowers. Luxury to our guests is what makes them feel good and makes them feel better and gives them a satisfaction in that moment. You ever I, hear I, I've heard of it, yeah. It's supposed to be a really nice hotel. Yeah. yeah. So this this doctor of mine, uh, he said, this private doctor said, hey, Josh, he is a hermit, an ex-Nazi hermit that's living at Claridge's in a suite on the top floor, and he hasn't been out of his room for three months. He's been there for two years. And he's addicted to sleeping pills, and all he does is take too many sleeping pills and smokes Cuban cigars and is depressed. So he's about 85, 86, and he could use your help, and you could work with him with your manuals, with his hands and stuff, because his muscles, the only problem he has is he just doesn't move. And um, I'll let you know that, you know, I'm not sure if he was an active Nazi, but he definitely was a Nazi. And, yeah, how did you uh, feel about him being a Nazi? Well, I thought this is an opportunity to get back at him, isn't it? <laughs> shit up. Right. Yeah, I'll get him. Once we're in enemy territory, as a bushwhacking guerrilla army, we're going to be doing one thing and one thing only. Killing Nazis. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I sure as hell didn't come down from the goddamn Smoky Mountains, cross 5,000 miles of water, find my way through half of Sicily, and jump out of a fucking aeroplane to teach the Nazis lessons in humanity. I'll yeah, put him in a pretzel a, hold, yeah, right. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, you know, he's obviously got a heads up that I'm coming. Joshua Abba Salzman is coming to visit you as your personal trainer. I mean, come on. Did he think it I mean, might have been guy. like the Mossad that was like sneaking you in like uh, the Trojan horse? The Trojan horse, yeah. And the funny thing was, I mean, the funny thing was he came via Peru you know, oh, South yeah. America. Right. And then he was, he came, he was first in Peru and then he came to the countryside of, of, of Britain, a place in a big estate called in Wiltshire, which is a, which is about, which is out in the countryside. Like he, he you know, there's a lot of Lords and ladies that live out in Wiltshire and he had a big estate and his wife who he married when he got here, which is, who was about, I don't know, 40 years younger than him went off with the gardener. I'm Chance, the gardener. The gardener? Yes. Since I was a child, I worked in this garden. As long as the roots are not severed, all is well. And all will be well in the garden. So the long and short of it is, you know, I don't know if he was an active Nazi and, he, you know, he was one of these horrible people that, you know, said left or right or, you know, he was at a concentration camp. I think he was more like a member of the Nazi party and obviously must have profited something off of that from rape, pillaging and burning. Oh, yeah. Somewhere. Having a state like that. Yeah. You just don't yeah, get that from joining the army. <laughs> yeah. Right. Somehow, you know, a lot of these, you know, we can go back forever on this one. But, you know, there's a lot of Nazis we know that that obviously did you know, get maybe a year and then they got out or they didn't even, you know, they didn't even try them, you know? So, you know, being a member of the Nazi party, you know, everybody had to be a member of the Nazi party, especially if you had a lot of cash uh, or you wanted to profit. Otherwise, you know, you were either with Hitler or you weren't with Hitler, so to speak. So, and, and that's the story. But so I go to Claridge's and I, at 11, at, and they say, he says, don't go early in the morning because he won't be awake yet. He needs like three double espressos and two Cuban cigars before he wakes up. And so I get there, it's about 12 o'clock and, uh, go into his room and he, and he says, hello. And he's just like Mr. You know, Pillsbury Doughboy laying in a chair because he's not moving at all. And he's having an espresso and he's smoking a Cuban cigar and he's just about to have his breakfast. And he, Would you like something to eat? Oh, does he, have a, said, does he have a German accent? A little bit of a German accent, but he's kind of refined it to English a little bit. You know, he's put right. on a little bit of a posh accent, and he's a little slurry until he wakes up. So now I, uh, you know, I said, listen, uh, let me just test your hands out. And then, you know, let's walk to one end of the room to the other. And then he sits down. So we basically did like five minutes of exercise because I'm thinking, I don't know how much to push this guy because I don't want him to have a heart attack with me here. Right. 
So then he, he, I come to see him about three or four times and each time it's something like that. But basically we do like five minutes of exercise and he, you know, he has to sit down and then he says, would you like some Dover sole or, you know, something like that? And I said, no, I'll just have a tuna wrap, you know, and, and a cappuccino. And so he tell me about his life and he didn't go back to the, to Nazi Germany, but he said, you know, he spent some time in South America. Then he came to, uh, then he came to the countryside and couldn't believe his wife thought he, he thought she really loved him. And, uh, he went off with the gardener. He thought the gardener was up to something. Then he came here to Claridge's. He hated his stepdaughter because um, he thought, you know, his daughter-in-law, sorry, his daughter-in-law, because she thought he said, she wants my money. She wants me to die. I know she does. And, you know, if you're staying at Claridge's for two years, right, that's about, I don't know, that could be up to a half a million dollars worth of, of, of hotel fees. You know what wow. I'm saying? Just there. Yeah. So this guy had Just some, there. he had resources. Oh, yeah. He had real resources. But at the moment, so... He, he needs to, I haven't told him yet that I work by the basis. So you got to pay for 50 workouts up front. And at the time it was 50 workouts times 50 plus the VAT, which was whatever it was. So it was about 3000 pounds. So about $5,000. So on the fifth workout, I said, look, Baron, you gotta, I gotta, this is how I work. He goes, Oh, right. Okay. No problem here. You write out the number and I'll sign the check. So I, I thought, should I get back at those guys? You know, oh, yeah, I but you, got this big right, number. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So rep- but I did, I was honest. Yeah. Reparation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I wrote, wrote the check. I wrote, I wrote it out. He signed it, took it in. And then we had one more workout and then I went off on holiday with my ex. It actually was my last holiday. I think with it, so it must've been 92. So it was 1992 it was my last holiday with my ex, and we actually went to Israel together with the five kids. It was horrendous on the plane. She's had it with unruly children on planes. I have had it with these mother snakes on this mother plane. What's yes. worse, snakes on a plane or children on a plane? Children, because snakes don't make that much noise. But when I came back, uh, you know, the guy still had whatever, 40, 43 workouts left, right? So I go to see him. And if you, if you probably don't know about Mayfair, but it's a very difficult place to park. And it's a very difficult place to park around this hotel. And I hate to be late. I ended up finding the place to park, but I was late. I was 10 minutes late. I'm thinking, I haven't seen this guy for two weeks. He just paid for his 50 workouts, more or less. I don't want to be late for him, ex-Nazi or not. So now I find a place to park. I'm 10 minutes late. I run into Claridge's. The, 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 the guy at the desk kind of says hi because they all knew I was coming up there. And I missed the elevator. And there's only one elevator. There's a guy with an elevator that has a uniform on. And they pull back this thing. It's very fancy. like the Oh, they have an hotel. elevator operator who stands in the elevator. An elevator hit. operator. Yeah, yeah. sure. And, he, and, and so now I miss that because the, the door closes. And I run all the way up the five flights to the top of Claridge's, right? Yeah. With, these two, with this big gym bag and a briefcase. <laughs> and I'm sweating. Like and I don't want to be late. Right? Yeah, like O.J. Simpson, yeah? So now I go all the way up there. I get to the door. He doesn't hear that well, Baron. So I knock at the door. I'm 50, about 20 minutes late now. I knock at the door. I go, Baron, Baron, it's Josh. It's Josh. Knocking at the door. Knocking at the door. So finally the door opens, and it's the head porter. And I and the door opens, and there's a body on the floor with a, with a sheet over it. And he goes, Baron's been dead for the last two hours. Oh, my God. What kind of a host invites you to his house for the weekend and dies on you? No so way. To, wait. Holy shit way so now i'm thinking to myself i had this really weird thought i'm thinking i'm sweating my heart rate's up i'm worried about being late i'm thinking fucking hell i've been rushing for a guy he's been you know i feel i'm late for a guy that's been already dead for two hours you know what i mean it's a really bizarre situation and i remember telling that anecdote to my to my dad's rotary and uh and, 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 you know, it, it, this was like 1996 and my dad's rotary, he'd been a member of rotary until the day he died. And, uh, for like 60 years or something like that. And, and I, I, I spoke and, and I thought I'd get the old boys awake at the end because after at, when the, when the speaker comes out, usually at rotary, some of the older guys are falling asleep. Right. So I figured I'd wake them up by telling that anecdote saying, and the next time you're in a rush to see somebody slow down, the guy may be dead when you get there. <laughs> So that woke people up. 
actually. And they went, who, me? And uh, anyway, so So wait, did you, so he had paid you two weeks earlier, right? For 50 sessions? He had paid me. So he still had 43 in the bank, right? So to speak. So now, so now I'm at the tennis pavilion where I had a little gym then in, uh, at Wentworth. I didn't have my own place yet. I had just this little pod that I used to use at the the old tennis pavilion. And I used to be there like three days a week. And I get a call and the, the tennis coach says, hey, there's a call for you, Josh, here. And I said, yeah, who? Sure. And it's his step, his, his, his daughter-in-law is calling me. Oh, the yeah. one that wants it, wanted his money. Oh, is she going to try yeah. and get some of your money back? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's what I thought. So I'm on this right. phone getting a little defensive. So she goes, hey, Baron really loved you. He thought you were the best. And I'm thinking, am I his will or something like that? Yeah. He really appreciated it. I wish he would have seen you earlier. She probably thought that I had killed him doing step step aerobics or something like that, right? <laughs> she was really happy. You can't do another push-up, you pussy. You know, what's it? Get your fucking self down for 20, you know? And uh, But, you know, the point I'm making is she she just wanted to invite me to the funeral. So she said the funeral is at such and such a time. So the funeral, I find out, is at the same day I'm seeing Paul McCartney for one of his sessions, right? Yeah. And so I thought to myself, I'll just send flowers. Could you imagine? At that point, I'd never been to a client's funeral. Because, you know, when you go to funerals, you'll the doctor can be there. The lawyer can be there. The accountant can be there. That's all good for those guys to be there. The personal trainer, okay, maybe. But, you know, you can't really hand out cards at that point, can you? And say, <laughs> hey, come and see me. You yeah, know? I'm really and, good at this. Uh, here's a, here's an <laughs> example of what happens when I work somebody out. Yeah. Probably staying away yeah, was so, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So staying away was a good thing. So, because I thought, you know, I could imagine there's there'll be a lot of like housewives that had, uh, you know, you know, a uh, good insurance policy for their husband. They didn't like, they say, Oh, will you see my, my husband too, uh, please. Or, you know, he's really stiff, you know, uh, he's really tight. <laughs> right. you know? He sure is. But yeah, so that's, so you that's sent the, flowers. You didn't go. No, I just said, look, I'm really sorry about, you know, uh, great to have met you and all the rest. And, but I thought it was kind of interesting because he had to think to himself, gosh, you know, with a name like Salzman and Joshua, although Salzman's a Czech German name, you know, you really are having inviting the people that you might might be pissed off with you back into your life. And given the capacity that I was seeing him at as his trainer and in in a sense, his psychologist, too, because he told me some interesting stories. Yeah, you you talk to people like you listen to people when you're uh, training them. It's not just, uh, you know pull up here, pull up there. You have a lot of conversations with them. I mean, that, you oh, said yeah. that Angelina Jolie, Kate Winslet. I mean, it's just not uh, do this, do that. You learn and they want to talk to you about themselves. Yeah. Don't forget, Rich, it was only five minutes of exercise with this guy for an hour. So I used to sit there and have lunch every time I'd be there. But the point of it is I, I'd have to listen to him for 55 minutes because that's his time that he paid for. You know what I mean? At least knowingly. So tell me, let me digress a second. Tell me about there's this Jaffe character you were telling me about this mm-hmm. fruit vegetable guy. Tell me that story. Well, Jaffe, you know, when you, remember you played that, that little editing thing. You said, don't call me mate or I'm not right your from Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is from Gordon Ramsay, but there's a kind of classic, um, you know, guy, Ritchie, you know, movie type of thing where you get these characters over here that are real East end type characters. And even though they might not be from the East End, they're they're kind of like that slightly other side of life type of people. Wait, East and, End character. So that's a new term for me. Like if, I, if you're talking yeah. Chicago and I tell you tell you Southsider, I could tell you everything about what it's like to live in the South Side of Chicago and what these people are like, the struggles they have and kind of the way there's actually a show on Showtime called Shameless where they, they kind of talk about what is life like when you're poor and you just have to scrounge around. So what is an East Ender? Well, an East Ender is somebody that's from the East End of London. And I think the most famous East Enders were obviously the craze. Remember the craze, the gang, the, the guys that were the criminals in, in England, the very famous criminals called the craze. And, and there was the rich. So it's a tough, so Adam. it's a tough area of London. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it's a tough area, but there's a lot of tough areas of London and there's and in any, in any big city, you have your areas that can be tough. As you know, you know, in all parts of Boston, you have tough areas. In all parts of Chicago, you have tough areas. But I think you have a certain kind of um, it's it's kind of an attitude because there's a, there's you know so this this the attitude of an East Ender, which is fair, unfair to kind of stereotype because there's many many people that have the same attitude in England. 
which would be the fruit and vegetable guy. Now, when I say a fruit and vegetable guy, I'm talking about a guy that owns a big market. And the big market in, in London is New Covent Garden, not Covent Garden, New Covent Garden. And New Covent Garden is near the River Thames. It's on the, It's kind of like it's west, southwest London. And it's it's like a, a whole huge market area where there's fruit and vegetables and there's a lot of different vendors there and a lot of is it places. inside, outside, or both? It's in and outside both. Okay. And they and, and there's a lot of different companies there. And those companies deliver to a lot of the restaurants in England. And obviously they get, you know, stuff, you know, right off the boat and then it goes to the market. And 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 in the market you can go there and the markets are obviously in their prime. I mean, they're like a little city, like a lot of these places are at one o'clock in the morning. I mean, there's a, there's a bar there, there's a restaurant there, you know, because people are working there and a fruit and vegetable owner, usually his, his hours of business are from a, like 1130 at night till about six o'clock in the morning. So they have the shirt, the third shift because you have to get your fruit and vegetables ready to go and out there um, for, for, for your restaurants and everybody else, as well as the general public that may come into the market, um, at that kind of hour. So it's an early, yeah. So they kind of work like a graveyard shift. Yeah. It's a graveyard shift. Yeah. Got it. But so this guy, um, was introduced to me by a guy called Tim Jeffries. Now, one of my clients is a very famous guy called Tim Jeffries. He, he owned, or, and he still does own Hamilton gallery. Past tomorrow. And he's an amazing guy. And he was a client of mine. He introduced me to a lot of guys. And he also, um, just as a, as a side thing, went out with, for about three years, El McPherson. And no after kidding. that, he went out with uh, Claudia Schieffer for three years. And so Tim He's got is pretty good married. taste, right? He's got pretty good taste. And he, had, and he could pull it off, obviously. He could pull off he was the guy that was the the quintessential example of a bachelor in in london he owned an art gallery he was married to a woman called ku stark who was very famous for going out with prince andrew and was a photographer she was also a client of mine but tim introduced me to a few people because tim liked me a lot i liked him and he we would i would train him and remember the story i told you about with denise that she took the uh her top off, Denise Lewis. Remember oh, that woman? Of course I do. Yeah, we talked so about So Tim it. went out with her too. So Tim went out with her too. So Tim Yeah, he's had a lot of good samples. This guy, if we call him a player here in the United yeah, States. Yeah, he's a player. And he's a player. But now he's married with two children, so he's being, you know, suburban Joe. But back in the in the 80s, he was the guy. Late 70s, 80s, early 90s, he was the guy. And he was and he was a guy that you could how would you say, I couldn't believe that he would always finish really well with his exes. And, you know, and he introduced me and I trained, uh, Elle McPherson for about, I don't know, 20 workouts back around 1990 because he was going out with her. And she said, look, and you know, I want to train with you because Tim says you're really good. So I trained Elle McPherson back then. That was from Tim. But what was was that like? Let's just stop a second. What was that like? It was okay. I mean, I found Elle, to be honest with you, when you see people up close and personal, 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 she was a very tall woman. She was, she was very statuesque. She had a great physique, obviously, but she was, um, she was difficult. And I was working with a lot of people at the time and John Cleese had actually let me use his gym, uh, to train her. So I would. So what made her, wait, what made her difficult? Her attitude was just, she arrogant? Yeah, because she was a she wanted supermodel uh, shit. You know, yeah. Well, I I was busy, and she said I can only do eleven. Can't you do eleven? I said, well, no, I can't. I got to do. I can't. I can only do three. Well, that doesn't work for me. Why don't you? Why doesn't work for you? I can't make it work. You know, that got it. Because a lot of people <laughs> in her life have been bending over backwards for her because she's Elle McPherson, and you, yeah. you, you have a schedule, and she just doesn't understand how could somebody like say no to her. Well, let me put it like this. When people talk about working with actors and actresses and people like that, that are high demanding, especially the women and, and some of the men, but mostly the women, is that at the end of the day, 
if you have five of those people going at the same time, you'll have a breakdown. You know what I mean? Trying to fit them in. Because you know when people say, you know, they they want you because you're busy, but you're so busy, you can't just see them whenever they want to be seen. Right. And because yeah. you're I'm a one man show making my own phone calls. So nobody's calling the Harley Street Clinic and going, I'm sorry, Dr. Salzman can't see you right now. Yeah, so it's I a conundrum to- for you. Oh yeah. But you know, I, I gotta tell you it's something. Good problem to have though. On that note, before we talk to Joffy, who was the lady that went out with Kurt Cobain? I think Josh is referring to Courtney Love. Kurt wrote all your songs. No, he doesn't do that. He implies it, and, and which is just even lame enough. But the thing is, is that he's got yet another song about what a bitch I am. Mm-hmm. I've never written a song about him, so I'm going to sing you one right now. Okay. When the drummer tries to sing, everybody better hide. <laughs> when the drummer tries to sing, God, let's all go inside. Oh, yeah, all of you that love all things food. Dave, I have to tell you, Kurt. I'm walking down the street on a Saturday, right? And I get a call from her, her PA, right? And says, she, she's, she's, well, she's waiting to see you tomorrow. I never met her before. Never talked to her before at this Mayfair Oh, like hotel. you drop everything because she's waiting for you to see her? No, she basically, this is a cold call to me yeah. from her secretary yeah. saying that she wants, she's, she's w- going to be waiting for a hotel at you tomorrow. Could you make your day available to see her tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning? Right. And that's like the day before, cause she heard about you and she wants to train with you. And that's, and that's what she wants. And I said, well, look, just let's go over the details and I can't make it. T- Why can't you make it tomorrow? Do you know who she is? That kind of thing. I mean, yeah, Ivana, I bet there's a lot of that when you get, I just call them high profile clients. They're, for, for however they got to where they got to, they then start, things start happening for them. Things happen quickly. I want this. You got it. I, I want to see this person. He's, you know what I mean? It's like the queen. When she summons somebody, it's very rare that person's not going to come. And well, so, I got to tell you, the queen, the queen would be a little bit more polite about it. And so, right, yeah, yeah bad family. example. But I'll, for people in America, yeah, we don't I'll, know I'll how you, nice she is the way you well, do. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you an example of this. This is more, more attuned. Ivana Trump. Yeah. In 1998, myself and my ex-girlfriend were on this kind of hello magazine kind of thing, right? I get a call about a week after we're in this magazine from Ivana Trump's, um, um, she was divorced from, you know, uh, what's his name? She was, yeah. And she was divorced from him at the time, but she'd been divorced for about four or five years. And she's in town for the fun season. And the fun season goes from Wimbledon to Henley to all this time. So she's in town from June 5th until July 10th or something like that. And she wants to see me every single day at eight o'clock in the morning in Knightsbridge at this, at this, at this apartment. Right. And I said, well, I can't really see her every day, but she doesn't need me every day. Well, she wants to see every day at eight o'clock, you know, five days a week, eight o'clock in the morning at this place. I said, well, let's just, why don't we schedule one time and she'll see what I do. And then if she wants more, I'll make sure she does what she needs to do to get in the best shape of her life. And she goes, well, I don't know if she's going to like that. So anyways, so this was about, this was in May. So now in the beginning of June, when I'm supposed to see her on June 8th or something like that, I call up this lady and she says, and I said, look, I'm just making sure I'm just verifying the time for Ivana Trump. Um, And she said, well, Mrs. Trump says, if you don't have time for her, she doesn't have time for you. Yeah. And I went, okay. Right. And, And then I find out, Rich. The guy she hires, this guy that does like step aerobics or whatever he was doing yeah. from a hotel nearby. Working the inside of my thighs, working my buttocks. <laughs> if I lean forward, uh-huh. I'm working my chest. I'm working my triceps. I'm working the back of my calves. And I'm working my heart and I'm working my lungs. Right. And if I want to work. Uh, he went to her and she never paid him. And then when he asked for the money okay. after like a month, she paid him like a quarter of it. Yeah. Where do you think she learned that from? she learned from him yeah, so it was so, a good thing so see you stuck to your guns thing, but, and yeah but, but yeah so, so going back, back to, to l mcpherson it's like she like others is like i want to see him then and while you're just a personal trainer of course you're going to drop everything she doesn't realize how busy you are she doesn't realize anything about you other than she has needs and you're the person that she's decided is going to help her fix her needs yeah. And my trouble is, is that, you know, you try to the most difficult time in my business is not so much getting clients is getting to them 
you know, getting around London, you know, especially, I mean, now it's impossible to drive all around London. And, Why is that? And What's then, happened? Well, just too much traffic. Oh yeah. So, you know, got I mean, congestion. I, yeah, forget got the it. pandemic, but let's go back to, let's go back to this guy, Tim Jeffries. That yeah. Tim Jeffries. Says, Listen, yeah, he comes to so Tim Jeffries, who's El McPherson's, um, uh, he, he, if you look up, he, he still owns this place called Hamilton Galleries. It's a photography gallery place in Mayfair. Said this kid is insane, man. Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education. Don't forget from whence you came. And the world is going to know your name. What's your name? Man? Beautiful place. And Tim knows everybody from the, all the Rolling Stones to everybody. But he also knows somebody from his past when he was in school in East Grinstead called this guy John Reeves, whose name is Joffe. Uh-huh. This is King Joffe Joffe, ruler of Zamunda. <laughs> Who went off to do, would work with his dad in a fruit and vegetable business. And he, Tim says to me, he says, Joffe really wants to work with you, this guy. But let me tell you something. He's the biggest practical joker in the world, so watch it. But he'll sort you out. He's got plenty of cash. But he's a crazy guy. Just be aware of that. That's some warning. I rarely yeah. get that when somebody's telling me about somebody else. So obviously, this guy must have done some shit for him to say that to you. Yeah, he's crazy. But you'll like him, and he'll like you. Right. So I go see this guy Joffe, and I meet him at a gym, and he owns this place. He owns this big fruit and vegetable place, which which he sold um, uh, many moons ago. But he owns this place at the time, and he's quite a character. And you know. He meets me at this gym that I used to do this aerobic class at. Describe what this guy looks like. He's about six foot two. He's got his hair slicked back. He's got a very, he's got a pug nose. He's got a, you know, he's probably about five years younger than me, maybe about 10 years younger than me. But the point of it is he's a, just, you can see he's a real crazy guy. And, you know, he is like the Wolf of Wall Street only in a fruit and vegetable role. So he's swearing away and he goes, yeah, I really want to get in shape and I'm going to pay you whatever you want because he's got, he's got cash. You know, he's got, he's got, Oh, from the best. Yeah. It's a cash business. Like your business. It's a cash business. Yeah. He's got wads of cash on him and it's just before the, it's about 1988. So it's just before one of the stock market crashes, Right. And you know, it's a little recession that hit in 1991. Anyway, so this guy, I meet him at the gym. And we do a workout and he says, look, if you double my weight, I want to put on, sorry, if you put on 10, if you put on a stone of muscle on me, I'll double what I'm going to pay you in a year. And he said, I'll pay you 6,000 pounds for the year or 8,000 pounds for the year. I'll pay you 16,000 pounds for the year if you make me gain a stone of weight. So I'm going like, fuck, this is great. So now, you know, he, 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 uh, we have our workout. I'm so excited. And he says, can I just take a walk around the gym? I said, sure. I'd love to walk around the gym with you. And he goes, cause sometimes I like to go swimming. I goes, do you? And I goes, so I'm all dressed up, you know, and you know, I'm, you know, with my track suit on and he's like got his suit and tie on. Cause he's going off to a meeting after this, you know, in another hour or so, but he wants to buy me some lunch. And we go downstairs to the, in this big gym where the pool is. And he, and he says, Josh, is that water really hot in that pool? Feel it. And so I reach down to feel the water and he fucking pushes me into the fucking pool. Okay, what this guy was gonna do. All right, so and, now he pushes you in. Do you have your wallet, your phone, or you don't have probably no cell phones in, but my phone's not there, it's in my car. But the point I'm making is I'm going through the air thing. This fucking guy just he is a fucking practical joker. Motherfucker! Motherfucker. Anyways, so now I'm completely wet and he says, Hi, I gotcha. And he goes, don't worry, I'll sort you out. He gives me 500 pounds in cash. He gets me changed. He buys me a whole new tracksuit at next door because he just did it for the crack, you know? Right. And in the meantime, as we get out, he goes to his car, but he parked on a double yellow line and his brand new Ferrari, which he charges to the business, is being hauled away by a fucking clamper, right? By a tower. Yeah, yeah. No shit. Dude, where's my car? Where's your car, dude? Did I drive last night? Yeah, I think so. Really? I'm not sure. <laughs> dude, where's your car? <laughs> dude, it's not funny, dude. The car is gone. It's picking his car up and taking it away. He goes, oh, fuck. I can't believe they're fucking taking it away. Another car. Ah, uh, fuck those cunts. Another goes. car. So this is not the first time this happened to him. This is not the first time this happened to him. So <laughs> what now, a character. So I'm training this guy like three times a week. 
But the trouble is the rave thing is happening here where people are taking ecstasy, right? And he's working from 1130 at night to six o'clock in the morning, right? So you can imagine what he gets getting up to. He's getting up to, you know, the marching powder, everything. Yeah, and, yeah, whatever it takes for him to get up and get going. Whatever yeah. it takes. So he's, he's the wolf of Wall Street as a fruit and vegetable guy. So now I'm training him three times a week. So I'm meeting him at this gym at like 630 in the morning, right? And he's just finishing his evening. And so <laughs> this is before Viagra, I think. But having said that, but this guy's like about 32 years old and maybe maybe a bit younger than that, maybe 28 years old. But he's crazy. And he's into going to raves as well. So while he wants to gain 14 pounds of weight and muscle every Saturday night, what does he do? He goes off to the local rave and stays out all night long and does like three or four hits of ecstasy. Right now, that isn't going to help you gain weight, is it, Rich? Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking no. <laughs> I'm thinking so, so, it's not you wouldn't write that up in like a no, scrimmage play. So so he says to me, he goes, Don't you like that kind of stuff? I said, Look at Rich, I got I got uh, sorry, Rich, I got Joffy, a Joffy. Yeah. I got kids. I got kids. I can't, you know, I don't do that stuff anymore. I used to, you know, I had the friend and fraternity, I've done a couple of hits of LSD, I used to really like it, you know, all of the above. I did it once in Israel, but you know, you know, I can't do that but can you handle it? I said, of course I can handle it. I quite enjoyed it actually. He goes, Oh really? Okay. That's good. So now I meet him on a, a Friday and I didn't have my car. Thank God then. And it's six 30 in the morning. We do our workout. You know, he's a little tired. And he said, we go downstairs and I didn't have anybody till I, I had like eight people that day, but I didn't have anybody till like 10 o'clock in the morning. And the guy I was supposed to meet at 10 o'clock in the morning was guy, Lord white. Remember Gordy? We yes. About Gordy yeah, before. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Call I got Gordy. him at yeah. 10 o'clock. Yeah. So he says, would you like a cappuccino? So I said, sure. So he gets me a cappuccino. But little beknownst to myself, between two 10p coins, Rich, he crushes up two hits of ecstasy to put in my fucking cappuccino, right? Two hits, not one, two. Yeah. Oh, so, so you're going to the Molly Cafe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to the Molly Cafe. I'm soon to find Molly. 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 but I don't know it. It's only 7.30 in the morning. So I drink down my, it's probably 7.15 in the morning. So I drink down my cappuccino. And at the end I said, I said, Joffy, that tasted really bitter, man. Would you put some salt in there or something? He goes, no, I got you, man. I said, what do you mean you got me? I just, you're, you're eat up for the day, man. I said, what do you mean eat up for the day? I got a full day, man. He goes, you're going to enjoy it. So I went, you fucking asshole. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Anyways, but you know, given you know, the, the tales of, of, of Josh, um, I thought, well, we better roll with it. Yeah, so roll. <laughs> that's what I, I would do. I'm like, okay, what is this like? And yeah, I got a client at 10, so let's see how this goes. A client at 10 and a client at 12 and a client at two and a client at four. Anyway, so yeah, up until like seven o'clock that evening. Oh, so what but does now, it feel like? I've never done Molly. Well, it's like, it's like LSD, but what happened is I went to this gym and I wasn't getting off yet obviously. And I kind of went there and I started getting off slowly and I felt a little, you know, kind of feeling, you know, like you're slightly leaving the planet. And then I start training this guy, Sir Gordon White at the time. Actually, he ended up being Lord White, but he was Sir Gordon White at the time. And I'm doing a tricep exercise with him. And all of a sudden his body jumps to the other side of the room. You know what I mean? What? Although I'm, so wait, well, you know, this I'm, hallucination? This hallucination happens <laughs> where he, he actually, his whole body goes 50 fuck? feet away from me. But uh, I still got his arm. Yeah. Oh, that and is going, like Elastaman or something. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, keep your shit together here, you know? And they have a little bit of kind of elevator music going off in the back, you know, background just going. And I'm going, hey, that's really good song, you know. And (laughs) God, I love this music. This playlist is a killer. (laughs) It's it's unbelievable. So anyway, so I go back in, I train him and all of a sudden I start feeling I'm dealing with it. And I'm fine with it. And I go off to the and I I go down the elevator. I, I, I had the best day of my life. I mean, I had a great so you find you got control of yourself. Once you came well, out think, of the bathroom, somehow 
you're, the you, the Josh in you says, I'm, this is not going to take control of me. I'm going to take control of this. Well, I think the way it works with those things, it's like sw- swimming against the undertow. And you just got to let it take you into outer space. Yeah. Because what gets people, you know, paranoid is they get anxious. They feel they want to control. And you think, okay, let's go with it. So because I act goofy around people anyways, and I'm always joking around, I got into this really kind of, I just got into this zone where I thought, okay, just do your thing. And I really gave people a really good workout. I mean, I didn't drink. I wasn't doing alcohol. I was just feeling really good. And obviously the stuff that he had was pretty strong, but it was pretty pure. So it didn't have speed in it and all this kind of stuff. Because don't forget MDNA is what they used to use in the 50s for with, I think they used, the army used it and they tried to use it in psychology. And they still do actually to get people to feel, to come off of having breakdowns and stuff like that, or that they have depression. So that's what they call it ecstasy. The trouble with ecstasy is, is that MDNA is that it's like all drugs, they take it. And it's obviously this is not for, you know, people should not use drugs and obviously, but the truth is with MDNA, they like all these drugs, they take it and then they try to add speed to it so they can make more money out of it. You know, it's like people get a little bit of cocaine that's pure, then they add other shit to it because they just want to make more of a profit, you know? So that was the problem with MDNA out of its pure form. But so that, that was this guy. And what was with funny with him was I remember showing up to his, his, his fruit and vegetable place at like four 30 in the morning because he was supposed to give me a check for some workouts. And he said, you know, I'm so fucking pissed off with my staff. And he had like 50 people working there and they had this big tea urn, you know, this tea that everybody would, you know, just press it, press a little nozzle and out would come their good English brewed tea. Yes. He put 50 hits of speed in there, crossroads in there. Cause he got pissed off with everybody for working too. Yeah. Slow. There's, there's just something know- illegal about this shit that he's doing. <laughs> You know, I think drugging people without their knowing about it, there's got to be a law in England. I well, think there's one in the United States. Well, I think he passed the statute of limitations. But what he did was when I got there to pick up the check, he didn't want to give me a personal check. So he wrote a check out to Josh Potatoes Salzman. And somehow my bank took it. Right. Because <laughs> it went off of his company. So but the point I'm making is where I'm sitting there and he goes, because we're sitting in this place where you could see everybody work in his office. He had a clear window and he could see everybody working. So you just watch my staff now for the next 10 minutes. They're going to be speeding up. So I'm looking out the window as I'm talking to him and he's giving me a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden I see these guys really start walk, talking faster to each other and everybody's walking really fast. Okay, Eunice travel plans. I need to be in New York on Monday, LA on Tuesday, New York on Wednesday, LA on Thursday, New York on Friday. Got it? Got it. Got it. So you want to work here? What really makes you think you deserve a job here? Well, sir, I think on my feet I'm good to figures and have a sharp mind. Excellent. Can you start on Monday? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Without hesitation. Congratulations. Welcome aboard. And the secretaries are starting to get up and move around. And everybody's kind of itching and scratching. He goes, those fuckers don't know it. But I've just, they're all drugged. They're all an amphetamine. So now they'll get their ass in gear. I'm thinking, I've never seen anything like this in my life. So I think he's passed the statute of limitations on that, Rich. So wait, um, let so me, uh, this, <laughs> I mean, this is great for productivity for shop workers. But let yeah. me go back to the day. So this guy gives you double hit of X in Capuchin. Yeah. You go off to have the most unusual day. At what point? Do you go back and either berate him, talk to him about it, stop him from ever doing it? There had to be something. You just didn't go on with your day like it never happened. You had to talk to the guy, right? Because he was he was supposed to buy a property of mine that I owned. He didn't buy it, but he felt bad about it. And so he kind of, I would just say he made up for it by uh, by acts of cash. And yeah, kindness. he took care of you. He took care of me. He took and- care of you. And you know something? He was a laugh because we would ride around in his whatever Jag he was in or Bentley he was in. He'd, he'd put it on the company. He did some sort of funny deal at the end where he sold the company for like $5, but five pounds, but got like, you know, I don't know, a few million in the bank in cash, something like that in a depot someplace in the East End, you know. But the point I'm making is he was a real character. We used to drive around, you know, and he'd always have fruit in his car, whether it was cherries. And he'd always be throwing it at like meter people. Yeah. So he'd say... <laughs> This guy, so he rolled down his window. A piece of work. He was a piece of work, and so I read in the paper one time that he actually um, that not not he, but I blamed it on him that a guy in the East End was hit by an artichoke and fell into the road and got seriously injured. And I thought, fucking Joffy just threw a fucking artichoke at that guy. Who else could it be? Who else who would else be throwing fruit at people but Joffy? But, but one of the one of the funny stories with Joffy too is he had this habit of 
when I go see his girlfriend, because I trained his girlfriend, who was a really hot ex-page um, three girl called Jilly Johnson. If you look her up, Jilly Johnson, and she was one of the first page three girls that she was pretty sexy. Her daughter was pretty sexy too. But a she was paid really sexy. street girl. Page three. Oh, page, page three. three. Oh, yeah. yeah so, right, right. Yeah. It's like page six yeah. in the New- like one of the New York papers, right? Uh, page yeah, so, three, so, not paid. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. We, I think she was paid for being page three and paid for being Joffy's girlfriend in some ways, too. But bless him. But she was a nice lady. And I used to train her. But sometimes he'd be over there because don't forget he had a wife and kids in the countryside. But anyways, having said that, he would I train her at her penthouse that he rented for her in uh, along the embankment in a place called Chelsea Harbor. But having said that, when I'd leave the, you know, from the, from the bottom there, he'd always throw eggs at me from the, from the balcony to see if he could hit me, you know? And it was like a, it was up about 15 stories. So I'd have to dodge my way out of the building. Like I'm like running. running oh, like you running, got to run serpentine. Well, I'm getting like, literally like I'm running, like I'm running out of there. Like people are shooting at me from the rooftop. <laughs> Only this, it's eggs. He's trying to egg you. He's this guy is like an eight year old with like a billion dollars. That's what it would be like if you give an eight year old all this money, like Richie Rich, and you tell oh, him, yeah. like, you know, you decide how you want to behave, then you become Jaffe. Josh and I talked a little bit more offline about Jaffe and the dead Nazi and some other things. And then, of course, he has to give us some parting words about another story about an arms dealer. I go to see this guy, Baha Basatna. He's a he's a he's a Syrian. He's a arms dealer. And he's got he's about five foot, maybe. And his wife is like six foot one. Beautiful. He lives in this very fancy house that looks like the inside of a Godiva chocolate box. <laughs> and when I go to see him the first time, I said, have you ever any injuries? And he goes, just someone tried to kill me once. Okay. <laughs> said, That's a good start of a I, relationship. I said, yeah, where? He lifts up his neck and he had a scar that went from one ear to right to his middle of his throat. And it was a real thick scar. Yeah, he slipped my throat. But that was about 10 years ago. I'm okay right now. I just talk a little bit deeper. I said, okay. And so, you know, you, you know, when you, you know, when you, uh, I thought, I thought to myself, well, we won't do any neck bridging right away. Right. But I thought, but, but when you say to people like, yeah, I hurt my knee and oh, I pulled my uh, calf one time and my, you know, I had a knee replacement. And this and guy that, had his throat slit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Quit complaining. Thought, I'll so, give you something to cry about. Yeah, <laughs> my but, dad but, used to yeah, say that. Fucking pussy. But I mean, the point I'm making is, you know, the, those are the unusual anecdotes that's happened. And because you and I, you know, why did we get along, Rich? Because there's a crazy side of you yeah. and a crazy side of Fuck me. Fuck yeah. That we we, it. that it's entertaining. We don't need right. a fucking movie. No, Who needs right. Netflix? No, if you just got to get the hell out of your house and go enter into the world and you're going to, and the way we think, you're just going to come up against very crazy shit. And it's uh, quantum energy, buddy. Quantum energy. Yeah. All right, brother. Listen, have a good uh, weekend. Thanks for all your help. And I'll have fun with this one. You've been listening to an episode from Tales from the First Tape. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Tampa, St. Pete, Florida. Talk to you soon.